This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hines. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Really excited to announce that I'm going to be heading back to the Donna Marathon in February. This is a race that I have been going to now. This will be my third year going down to Jacksonville, Florida for this race. This is a 5K and half marathon, half marathon relay and marathon. There's also 110 ultra marathon and challenge events as well. So This is a really fun weekend on a flat, fast Boston qualifying marathon course. I've done the half two years in a row. This is the official event for the Donna Foundation, which the Donna Foundation provides financial assistance and support nationwide to those living with breast cancer and funds groundbreaking research to finish the disease once and for all. So last year, I had the opportunity to raise funds for the Donna Foundation, and with your help, we raised over $10,000 for the Donna Foundation, something that is really important in my own life. And I'm so excited to go back to this race. And I haven't decided if I'm doing the half or the full yet, but I will be doing a big meetup down there this year. I hope that you will get it on your list to get yourself a little February getaway to Florida and come hang out with me and run this race. So we also have a weekend giveaway going on that we're going to do. I'm going to announce that over on my Instagram this coming week. So make sure you're following over there, Lindsay Hine 626 and we will be announcing that giveaway this coming week. So everybody listening, if you want to come run the Donna Marathon or any of the races that weekend with me, you can go to the breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay15 for 15% off your entry to any of the races. Grab some friends, get this on your calendar, and meet me in Jacksonville. All right, friends, today you are listening to episode 203, and I'm talking with Amelia Boone. Amelia is a four-time world champion and one of the most decorated obstacle racers in history. She's a three-time winner of the world's toughest mutter in 2012, 2014, and 2015. She's a Spartan Race world champion. She's a Spartan Race point series champion, and she's a three-time death race finisher. She also works full-time as a corporate attorney for Apple. Amelia has been profiled in some of the most prestigious publications like Outside Magazine, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Women's Running, Competitor Magazine, Runner's World, Chicago Tribune, and more. She's appeared regularly on national television and she's also a really good writer. Amelia recently wrote a blog article about her decision to admit herself to a treatment facility for her eating disorder. She has been super vulnerable and honest in discussing what she's been through. And I know she's helped a lot of people through her journey. And I appreciate so much her willingness to put it out there and be a voice in this world uh, and encourage people to seek help if they need help and to lose the shame and admitting that you you do need help sometimes. Really great conversation with Amelia. I took a lot away from this conversation and I also had a lot of fun talking with her. All right. Well, if you have not got your tickets to my live show in Indianapolis on Saturday, November 9th, the weekend of the Monumental Marathon, 
you need to do it. I am hosting a live event with Sally McRae and Dina Castor. We're going to have a nacho bar. Central State Brewery is supporting us with delicious beer. We are going to have the most wonderful conversation and community experience. Uh, I am so excited for this event. If you are going to be in Indy that weekend, grab your tickets, go to the show notes, lindsayhine.com, the podcast tab, and you will find the link to get tickets to the show. I will also have the link in my bio and Instagram. So if you find me over there, lindsayhine626, I'm just going to leave the link to grab tickets in my in my profile. I'm looking right now. We have 42 tickets left. I do think slash hope it will sell out, uh, but I really want you guys all there. So make sure you go grab your tickets today. All right, friends, let's enjoy this conversation with Amelia Boone. Welcome to All Have Another, Amelia. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, are you working from home? Are you in the office? What's going on? Uh, I am currently working from home right now, um, and then I will head into the office after this. Okay, so that's right. You're on West Coast. Time. Yes. So it's, yes. what, 11? Yes, but I mean, I'm generally in the office um, around this time. It's just sometimes, you know, there's flexibility, so... That's the great thing about technology. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so you recently just did your first race in over a year. I saw that on mm-hmm. Instagram. How'd that go? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I think that I think that for anybody who's been sidelined from racing for a while, um, there's kind of that nerve that like, wow, am I actually ever going to get back to a start line again. Um, and it's just, and I mean, at least that's been my experience. Um, so I think there's just big relief to like get to that first start line and to be out there again. And I've just missed so much being out on a race course. Yeah. What do you miss most? You know, I think it's just everything. It's really the, the moments in out there, like being out there with people, um, and just the experience. And I was out there just like high-fiving everybody and giving hugs. And it was, I don't know. I just, that's the part that I really, really miss when I'm not able to race, um, is, is that entire experience with the other people out on the course. How did you decide which race you were going to do? And what, tell everybody what you did, what race. Right. Yeah. So I ran, it was a, it was a Spartan trail race. Um, and so they, um, have recently this past year have started putting on trail races along with their obstacle races. And since I got my start in Spartan racing, um, and you know, like many, many years ago, um, I felt like it was kind of a good opportunity just to get back, get back out on the race course. And it's, um, you know, ultra who I run for ultra and they're the title sponsor. And so, um, just kind of dipping my toe in the water, um, cause I have some bigger things coming up. So it was nice to just kind of shake off those initial nerves, I think. Yeah. Tell us when you started running for ultra. Yeah, I started um, January this past year. Um, I signed with them. I had been running for Reebok um, before um, because they they were the title sponsor for Spartan for many years. Okay. Um, so it was just kind of a natural shift. They kind of Reebok shifted their their focus. I shifted my focus. Um, yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't know. So is because I always thought Reebok was hardcore with CrossFit. They were also yeah 
they were also headline type sponsor for Spartan races as well. They were. Yeah. So they got into, they got into, um, CrossFit and then they got into Spartan racing. Um, and you know, kind of found a little niche there. Um, and it was great, but I think they've since pivoted. They're still into CrossFit heavily, but have gotten out of kind of the obstacle racing space, um, for sure. So is ultra kind of dominating that space now in terms of sponsorships and whatnot? (sighs) Not really. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I, I have since pivoted more towards, um, trail running and ultras, but, um, ultra does make a great shoe for obstacle racing. Um, there's like, a, there's no dominant sponsor in the space right now, to be honest. Um, I think that a lot of companies still really don't really know what to do with the sport. And mm-hmm. that's, that's <laughs> totally understandable. I get it. I, I didn't know what to do with it for many years either. So, yeah, well, let's start there and then we'll work up to, to where we are now. Um, yeah. tell everybody how you, entered the world of Spartan racing. I know that people who have followed you for a long time probably know this story, but we might be introducing you to some listeners who don't follow Spartan racing. So can you kind of share that story with everybody? Yeah, I was a first year associate at a large law firm in Chicago. um, And I had some coworkers who approached me and were like, Hey, there's this crazy obstacle race that we should run. Um, and it was actually a tough mutter there. I mean, there are two right now there's basically Spartan and tough mutter. Um, I'd really never run that far before in my life. And I kind of decided, okay, sure. Why not? Um, and I fell in love and I immediately started figuring out like, what's the next big thing I can do. And to me, it was just this kind of sport that was, you had to be, pretty good at everything, but not like extremely dominant in one way. So you had to be strong. You had to be fast. You had to have a lot of endurance. Um, you had to have upper body strength. And I really just kind of took on that challenge, um, and, and got in, you know, right when it was kind of starting as, as a sport. Um, and so that was back like in 2011 or so. Yeah. And you really dominated the scene. Tell us what the death race is. Cause I keep seeing three time death race finisher and I just don't even have any idea what that race actually is, but it sounds really scary. It's actually really hard to describe. Um, and, um, it was kind of before Joe DeSena started Spartan race, he really had this like kind of, he had this endurance multi-day adventure race type of background. Um, and so he put on this race that didn't really have you kind of knew when it started. You definitely didn't know when it finished, um, but it was in the woods up in um, Pittsfield, Vermont. And we would, if you would do things, it was kind of like task based. Um, and so, and every year was different, but you know, you would do things like carry a cement bucket up to the top of the mountain. And there you'd have to recite a, or memorize a Bible verse. And then you'd have to come back down to the bottom <laughs> of the mountain and recite the Bible verse. And if you got it wrong, you had to do it all over again. Um, and then there were times where we were swimming in lakes and, um, it was just a very long type of, I think the longest that I ever went was probably close to, uh, God, 70, 80 hours. I remember one time wow. I definitely was awake. I definitely was awake for close to like four or five days at some point. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, so I started really big and that was before I'd never even like, I was like, I realized I'd never actually run something like a 5k before. I just, w- <laughs> I just went for the straight, like super multi multi-day long stuff. 
um, and then kind of worked my way down. <laughs> you know what? It sounds like Navy SEAL training, honestly. <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, um, that was really like it, it kind of just appealed to people being like, man, how miserable can I be and what can I endure? And I think what was really the, the hard part about it was that you never knew when it was going to be over, over. So you're running this race and you didn't know where the finish line was. And that really trips with you. And especially when you're sleep deprived after several days. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that I, how I would process that because it's like, at least when you're running a hundred miler or a marathon or whatever, you're like, I know I'm at mile 80 and I have to get Mm -hmm. to mile a hundred. Like that's what I have to do. Wow. Right. Okay. All right, Amelia. So a lot's, a lot's gone down recently. Like you've been on yeah. 900,000 podcasts and interviews <laughs> and magazines and, um, I, people are probably like, Oh, this girl, we're sick of her. This Go away. No. girl again. Well, hopefully yeah. our conversation can be a little bit different than, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, and I think it's an important thing to talk about, but tell me this, when, when was the last time that you like fiercely raced like top notch where you were all in and you were healthy? Um, I would probably say, I mean, I, I like, I was running some Spartan races in, um, August of 2018, okay. but I think the last one where I, I was definitely all in was probably the Barkley marathons in, in the spring of 2018. Okay. Um, Tell I us about that. felt phenomenal. <laughs> so how, how do I describe the Barkley marathon? I know the Barkley, but maybe <laughs> people listening don't know, know it. Um, so this is another interesting race, um, where there is no, um, it's technically a hundred miler as they call it, but, um, it's actually probably more like, you know, 120, 150, but it's a race out in the woods in Tennessee. Um, and there's no course map. There's no course markings. Um, you use a map and compass to navigate and you collect pages from books in the woods. Um, no female has ever finished. Um, and there's only been 15 finishers total, um, over it's been running since God, the early eighties. Um, the brainchild of, um, one Lazarus Lake as he's, as he's called. Um, so yeah, it's really a race like any, like none other. And I think that's really kind of what appealed to me given the type of background that I've come from and the things that I really like. Yeah. When you explain the death race, it's like, okay, this, you're cut out for this, this kind of race. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. I have a couple friends who have attempted it. Um, Uh I think the one guy I know that's attempted, I feel like he's attempted it three times and he hasn't, and he's one, he's like a really good runner and a great ultra runner and great at finding his way, you know, navigating his way through things. So I was always surprised when he didn't finish. Tell us about your experience there. Yeah. I mean, I was probably the scariest thing that I've ever done in my life. And that says a lot because I mean, it was probably the, the first race that I went into where I, since maybe World Toughest Mudder in 2011, where I actually legitimately thought I, I could die out on the course because, like, you get lost in the woods yeah. and with the weather that always happens, and you're out there by yourself, and you have you don't have a phone, you don't have GPS. Um, I, it was it was definitely very outside of my comfort zone. Um, but I mean, the first loop, so it's five loops to finish, um, and the first loop actually I went really really well, um, and I came in and, um, you know, I was like, man, I can do this. I can do this. I can at least get a fun run. A fun run is three loops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the skies opened up and the weather turned and, um, you know, I 
missed a book or I lost a book and then it just descended into chaos and um, your best laid plans go awry. So I finished one official loop and then we did a second loop and we timed out um, over uh, over the time cap. Um, so I, it's, it's one of those, I mean, it was an amazing experience though. Um, and I was, I got back in to compete again this past spring. Um, but then I ended up breaking my heel two weeks before. Um, so that was, that was sad and disappointing and I'm hopefully, hopefully we'll get another shot one day. But yeah. So you want to we'll go back to Bar- Barkley? Absolutely. If Laz lets me in, um, for sure. I mean, it's, it's always up to him. Um, and there are, I know there are hundreds and hundreds of super qualified runners out there. So you never know, you know, can you tell everybody the application process there just so they know, like, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't he let Amelia Boone in? <laughs> well, I mean, so the application process is kind of a secret, um, which is cause you have to figure out, you have to figure out how to apply for the race first of all. Um, and you have to do it in a specific way. Um, but yeah, you have to write an essay that basically says, um, why I should be allowed to run the Barkley marathons. And you don't really know what his selection criteria are. Um, you just, you just hope. <laughs> That is crazy. Yeah. So funny. Too. Yeah. So and I'm actually running one of his other races in two weeks. Um, what are you doing? Which is Big's Backyard Ultra. You are? I am. Am I just super underprepared here? You're doing that? Wow. Uh, I haven't, you know, it's been, it's been one of those things that, you know, like I haven't, I'm always afraid if I talk about going uh-huh. into a race that I'm going to like jinx myself somehow. Uh-huh. Um, so I need to get over my fear. So we'll see. I have no idea when this airs. So it could be afterwards. And but um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna we'll, put it we'll out this out. Friday or next. Probably next. Oh. Maybe next Friday. It just depends on and what I do right. with another episode I'm recording today because I might put a bonus out. So it, it's gonna go out either the week before you go do this or like you're heading into well, as, it that weekend. Yeah. As so, I'm doing it. Because it yeah. does it start on that Saturday. It does. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell us how you decided on that race. We, we, I just talked to Courtney to Walter last week and right. she, um, you know, she competed last year and won for the females. So what was the decision making process? Uh, once again, it is kind of one of those races that's unlike anything other. And that's what I've found. What really appeals to me mm. is something that is a challenge that I've never really done before. and something that there's a huge mental component to it. Um, and so actually when I first learned of Biggs several years ago, um, it didn't really appeal to me because I'm like, you're running kind of flat mm-hmm. loops in somebody's backyard. <laughs> um, but then knowing Courtney and then, um, my friend Maggie who ran it last year, the more I followed it, I was like, you know, this is something that's so totally different. Um, for people who are listening, who don't know what it is, it's basically like the beep test from hell. Um, <laughs> is how I like to think of it. Um, so you basically run a loop every hour on the hour and then, um, you know, at, you run until you can't run anymore. Um, and then there's basically it's a last man standing race. So last year it was Courtney and Johan who fought it out for 280 something miles. Um, I don't, I mean, I have, I'm very well aware of where my training is, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, and where my body is. And so I, it's not, I don't necessarily have massive grandiose, um, aspirations, but I think, I'm just looking forward to being out in the arena and playing and just seeing how it goes. You know, I think that's all we can, all we can ever ask for. (laughs) I love that. And playing. 
Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important thing to remember too, because people oftentimes think of where they were in their peak and Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm probably, I'm going to be running the New York city marathon here in a couple of weeks. And like, I know darn well that like, I'm nowhere near that fitness but it's going to yeah. feel really good and I'm still going to work really hard and the finish mm-hmm. line is still going to feel amazing, you know? Right. Absolutely. And I mean, and especially in a, in a race like Biggs where there's really only one winner and everybody else DNFs, um, you kind of yeah. go, go into it with like, well, we're just going to see what happens. And I think for me, that's so important going into a race is just like to focus on that experience. Um, and I've, you know, I've struggled for many years kind of fighting with the whole results aspect of it. And like, where does that play in? Um, but at this point in my life, I mean, man, I just want to be in their arena and whatever happens, I'm not afraid of what happens anymore, you know, um, out on the course. Where is your fitness right now? What have you, what are you doing, you know, week by week? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm because, because I've struggled with bone injuries, um, and you know, and stress fractures, I'm actually pretty low mileage, um, right now. Um, but I've just been consistent, um, consistent. And then I build, you know, a lot, I do a fair amount of strength training and just different volume, um, by being on a bike and whatnot. Um, it's one of those things. I actually texted my coach to, the other day and I was like, cause we're in taper right now. And so I go, what is the bare amount, bare minimum amount of running that I can do within mm-hmm. the next two weeks to like, mm-hmm. <laughs> to like maintain stuff? Because I'm just like, I just want to get to the start line. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to be there in one piece, healthy, niggle free, things like that. Um, so I don't know. It's, I, I feel, I know my fitness is there. That's the thing is through this entire, since I started running again after, after my last, um, stress fracture. So I started running again in like May, um, my fitness is there. It's more, I have questions about my body durability and that's just something that's going to plague me, I think for a long time to work through. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, that's, that that is, that's a hard process, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And so you mentioned the bone injuries and the stress Mm -hmm. fractures and, um, if anybody hasn't read Amelia's post, I mean, I feel like everybody on the planet has read your post about, um, the fact that you went to a treatment facility for your uh-huh. eating disorder. And do you feel like, I always wonder when I, when I've been reading about your process through this, like back in the day when you would get these bone injuries and these stress uh-huh. fractures, was that always looming over your head that you knew why they were happening? Absolutely. And I think that that's the reason why it was so, um, there was such like a cognitive dissonance for me. Um, and I felt a lot of shame around it Mm. because, you know, and I didn't know for certain, but that the nutrition and the eating disorder is what was really contributing. But I mean, everything else, everything else I had in line. Um, and it's funny because, through all of this, my blood work has always been absolutely normal. Um, you know, my bone density, while not phenomenal is not, you know, is not like massively concerning. Um, so there are just a lot of things where I kind of just knew in the back of my mind, like, this is, this is, this is, (laughs) this is probably the reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just kind of embarrassing and shameful for me to admit. And, um, it sucks because like if for me, I, 
there are people who with eating disorders, they're like, well, you know, I thought like if I lost a little bit of weight, then I would be faster and help me for fitness. That's actually never what I thought at all. I actually knew for a very long time that if I ate more and that actually, if I like had maybe a bit of extra weight on me, I would be more durable and I would perform better. It was more just that I, to do what it took to do that was like too scary for me on my own. So it was like, I, my eating disorder was like in the way of my, of my athletic goals. Um, and that was really hard, you know, um, to, to know what I needed to do. Um, but to like, feel like I couldn't do that on my own. Yeah. I mean, because it is pretty insane to think of the distance and the time that you're putting on your body and the like athletic accomplishments that you were achieving while walking through this. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I do kind of think of the back of my mind. I'm like, you know, like what, what, what could have happened? You know, what, I, I try not to play the what if games. Mm-hmm. Like what if I actually had been like fueling myself properly for a yeah. really long time. But I think the hard part for me now is like, and I worked through this a lot when, when I was at the treatment facility. Um, cause they, they specifically, um, you know, they do, they do work with athletes very well. And, um, I think that one of the things that I was kind of mourning was the fact that, you know, I can get everything in line now. I can get all my nutrition in line. I can, you know, be in recovery from an eating disorder, but my body still may, I'm still not maybe able to undo all the damage that I did for that many years to my body. Um, and that's been like, and that's a hard unknown, I think, to go, to go forward. Um, but it's not going to stop me from trying to still do the things that I love to do, you know? Um, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> what, what was your breaking point? Like, when were you like, damn it, I'm not doing this anymore and I'm ch- going somewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I had honestly, I'd been contemplating it for a while, for probably, close to a year, um, like in this past year, year and a half. Um, but I always kind of found reasons why it wasn't the appropriate time. Mm. Um, you know, I was like, well, I'd have to take a leave of absence from work and we're really busy at work right now. Or, oh, let me just get through this one more race and then it will be a better time to address the issue. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was like, well, if I'm healthy and I'm racing, then like there's no need to address the issue. Um, so it was kind of, I had told myself I was going to go after Barkley last year. Um, and I had kind of set that up and then I ended up breaking my heel and not being able to run Barkley. And that was kind of, I had already made the decision to go, but I think that that kind of reinforced the fact that, you know, it, it was time. Um, it was, it was time and I, I couldn't live like that anymore, but even more so, um, not just the injuries. I'd also think it really impacted a lot of my relationships in my life. Um, and I was living, but I felt a very, it felt very, very hollow. Um, and, um, if anything, I wanted to be more present in, in relationships and with friends and family. Um, and that was way more important to me than any type of, you know, like athletic, um, benefit, I guess. How do you accomplish that? How, how do I, how do I like, yeah, I mean, just like sorry. the being more present part, like what did oh, you learn and like, yeah. what has this experience taught you to accomplish? I mean, cause 
Yeah. With anything people struggle with, I think that right. just what you described is what we're all probably longing for. Yeah. So like, I what do we do? It, yeah. I mean, for me, what was, what was the eating disorder was hindering me from doing things that, you know, we take for granted on a daily basis. Like, going out to eat with friends Mm -hmm. or, you know, like having dinner with your teammates the night before a race. Um, and so that's when I was like, I could do it, but I would be, there would be so much anxiety and so much fear. And I just didn't ever feel fully present with the people around me. Um, and so I think that that's really a part of what I was like, okay, like I need to address this. And really if anything, it's only through, in a lot of ways, eating disorder recovery is like exposure therapy because you're really just doing something over and over again. That's really hard until it becomes easier. (laughs) Um, And maybe that's, I think that's applicable to a lot of things beyond eating disorders, but that's really what it is, what it has been for me, for sure. Yeah. And what's your message to someone who is maybe just maybe doesn't realize or want to admit or they're too Mm -hmm. shameful because they're like, Hey, I'm 35. Like how the heck am I still dealing with this today? Or Hey, I'm 55, you know, or 70, whatever it is. Like what's your message to them? Like what's the kind of freedom that you've found? I mean, if anything that I've, I've learned that it's, there's nothing to be shamed, like ashamed of. Um, and it's much easier said, than done. But I think shame is what kept me from seeking help for many years because it was, I told myself like, Amelia, you've been in and out of treatment all throughout high school and college, and you should be over this. You're 35 years old. And, um, I think that that prevented me from reaching out. And since I've talked about this, you know, I think one of the coolest things is, is having other people who've reached out to me who say, you know, like, I've just taken the first step. I've made a phone call. I've done something. Um, and you don't have to be public about it. And that's the thing is that like, you know, you can do this all the private. I didn't have to talk about it publicly. Mm -hmm. It's just how I choose. It's, you know, how it works for me. Um, but I think that, you know, disorder and mental issues have no age limit. They have no gender. They have, you know, there's nothing like that. Um, so the first step is just reaching out, making a call, yeah, I've heard you talk about how the writing of the actual posts and posts, because there's you mm-hmm. know, other times you write about this, um, is therapy for yourself. But at what point did you decide, I want to share this with the world? And what was that, was part of that because you knew there were going to be some people that were really going to be helped hearing your story? You know, I it's funny because I don't know if there was ever an actually a conscious decision on my end that was like, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about this publicly. Um, it was just more something that felt right to me. Part of, part of what I've understood is that I, I feel much more in line with myself when, um, I feel like I'm able to speak freely about everything that's affecting my world. And this was clearly a massive part that was affecting my world. And, um, and it was, and I've also felt like a lot of my public persona of how I had been portrayed and maybe, and part of this was maybe my, it was definitely probably my own fault too, was just that 
it, it wasn't how I felt internally. And so to me, like talking about it really kind of aligned how I viewed myself like on the inside and versus like what was being portrayed on the outside. Um, and I think that talking about it as I've been going through it has been very therapeutic for myself. And I'm frankly blown away by the number of people who, you know, have reached out who have been touched by it as well. Um, and so I, you know, I just, there are so many people who inspired me, um, before me, like who had talked about their things and gave me courage to speak up. So it's kind of like a pay it forward is how I view it. Yeah. Well, and you talk about recovering in the public eye and, you know, and when I was thinking about that process and like uh-huh. the process of I'm going to go run 10 miles today or whatever, are people going to judge me because they think, oh, she's back at it or whatever. Um, right. And that's got to be hard. And and I think what I was I was comparing it to is I've always had this like struggle with fear in my life. Like, you know, I've, I'm always dying of something kind of uh-huh. deep seated fear. And yeah, I've done a lot of work on it. And I've spoken on a lot of stages about it, but like, I am still constantly working on it. Like I, it's, I'm always going to be working on it. Like it's never going to, I'm never going to be that person that is like always totally chill about this stuff. So Mm -hmm. in hearing you say that, I just love to hear your thoughts on walking through this as a lifelong process in front of everybody. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, it it is it is true like what you said is that i don't i don't know you know like what for me i think recovery is is going to be a very long process in terms of that i don't know if i'm ever going to be able to sit there and say i am recovered in the past you know um like with that ed on there mm-hmm. um and and um and i i mean i think that's something to aspire to but i also realize like it's, it's going to be a day-to-day thing for, for many, many years. Um, and a part of me figured, thought, I was like, well, maybe I should just wait until I'm in a better spot to talk about it, you know, or like wait until I'm fully recovered to talk about it. And then I realized I would probably never talk about it if I then waited that long. Um, and so I do kind of wrestle with the fact that, um, you know, I, like, there's a part of me that was like, okay, if I, come out and talk about this publicly, then I'm going to feel like under a microscope and that people are going to judge what I'm doing. Um, and whether that's true recovery or blah, 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 blah. And i just have to work on, you know, turning off those voices and questions and focus on like, what is a true path for me? Um, so actually it's funny. One of the one of the other clients at Opal, um, at the facility I was at, like the first day that I was there, we were in a group and she said something at the end. She just said it kind of off, like off the cuff. And she was like, I don't know your path. Mm. And it stuck with me. And I just, and I have it like written on my mirror right now. And it it is, it's just like everyone's path and everyone's journey is going to look different. And I'm not going to sit there and cast judgment on somebody else's on how they, you know, how they're living their life and moving forward. Um, and so I just need to understand that people may do that for me, but I can't control that, you know? Um, so I think just being open about the fact that, you know, I don't have it all figured out and I'm never going to, I'm never going to proclaim to have it all figured out is how I'm really kind of moving through this. I love that your path. Yeah. I think that's a mantra we can all 
take on. Like I'm just thinking about with work, with parenting, mm-hmm. like everything I'm doing in my life day to day, like this is my path. Oh yeah. You and, might do it differently. Sure. Exactly. And there are so many voices out there that say this is the one way to do it. But you know what? Like we're so, we're all incredibly different people. And so what is working for one person, just like in training, like somebody may out there be out there running hundred mile weeks that works for them doesn't work for me, you know? Um, so knowing those boundaries, I think is super important. Yeah. And to not judge what other people are doing. I mean, it's like, I'm thinking of Sarah Hall right now and her just like tearing it up, <laughs> right. like cereal racing, but like she can do that and she's doing yeah. it really well. But like, there are people that their bodies would not be able to endure that. Absolutely. And I think, and I, you know, for me, like I say, I would love to be one of those people out there doing what Sarah Hall is doing. Absolutely. Do is my, can my body handle that right now? Absolutely not. So I just like, I I need, I I need to draw those boundaries. Hey everybody, I'm going to jump in real quick and thank a couple sponsors for this podcast who are help making this show possible. And the first is Aftershocks. I am all over my Aftershocks. I'm wearing them all the time. They're actually around my neck right now. I just walked my son to school, came back, popped him on my head, listened to a podcast on my way back home, and I'm heading out for a run in a little bit, and we'll just put them back on for that. So the cool thing about Aftershocks is they have an open ear concept. So you can feel safe while you're out running. You can hear the noise around you while you're listening to your podcast or music or whatever you prefer. And the audio quality is still really, really good, like way better than I ever would have thought it could have been. And Aftershocks is offering you all $50 off an endurance bundle when you go to another.aftershocks.com and use the code ANOTHER to get that $50 off an endurance bundle. You will not be disappointed in this product. And when you support a sponsor of this show, you're directly supporting the podcast. So I thank you so much to anybody who's already done that. If you grab a pair, tag me on social media. Let me know what you think of the the headphones because I think you're going to love them. All right. And one more sponsor today, and that is HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit with easy seasonal recipes, pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. I am really admittedly bad at meal planning, and this has been really helpful in our lives. They even have a vegetarian option, which is important to us because we don't eat meat around here. They make cooking delicious meals at home a reality regardless of your comfort in the kitchen and that is the truth because I am not a great cook I'm not good at planning like I said and if I have everything laid out in front of me I'll do it that's just it I'll do it Uh, there's step-by-step recipes pre-measured you have everything you need and you have a wow worthy dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes and they have something for everybody from family recipes to calorie smart and vegetarian and fun menu series like hall of fame and craft burgers HelloFresh is flexible and it fits your lifestyle. You can even add extra meals to your weekly order as well as yummy add-ons like garlic bread and cookie dough. You can easily change your delivery dates, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. I have personally found so many recipes that I never would have thought of making if it weren't for HelloFresh. And honestly, it never disappoints. When that box shows up on the door, I'm always excited. You all can... Use this special offer for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com 
slash another 80 and enter the code another 80. Again, go to hellofresh.com slash another and enter the code another 80. It's like receiving eight meals for free or you get $20 off your first four boxes. It's worth it. You'll love it. HelloFresh.com slash another 80 and enter the code another 80. All right, friends, let's get back to my conversation with Amelia Boone. Tell me this as someone who's done all these like insanely intense uh-huh. Spartan and Tough Mudder races and, you know, Barclays and now you're doing bigs. Do you ever want, do you ever have any interest in testing what you could do for like, you know, just a regular old marathon or something <laughs> like that? It's actually funny. I talk to my coach about this all the time. Um, well, not all the time. Anytime a major marathon comes up, yeah. um, especially around Chicago, because I lived in Chicago for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and I would love to, I've never, I ran a road half marathon a very <laughs> long time ago and I didn't even like train for it. Um, and, but I would love to see like what I could do, um, or just to run a road marathon. <laughs> and my coach is always like, yeah, you'd, you'd love, you'd love running the race. He's like, you would probably hate the training for it. Cause so I much just short, like short, fast stuff. Yeah. And I just, I love to just be out in the mountains and the trails and just kind of run slowly for for a long time. And if somebody was like, now you need to do like, you know, threshold work and, and, you know, I don't even know what the terms are. And so Interval. I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, ew, gross. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I don't know. It's, it is something that's kind of a bucket list thing that has been, that has been on me because <laughs> yeah. I actually do believe honestly, that like running a fast, hard marathon is probably way harder, at least for me than like running a hundred K or something like that on the trails. Yes. Um, a totally different kind of hard. Yeah, like exactly. S- it would feel so short and you'd feel like it's like a marathon runner talking about a 5k. It's like yeah. so short and fast and you have to be working and having that effort out for such <laughs> a long, like harder effort. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like fun to me, <laughs> but in a weird way, it kind of does. <laughs> so is da- is David Roach still your coach? He is. Yes. How long has he coached you? He has coached me, man, since, um, early 2016. Um, so yeah, uh, he has been absolutely just the best for sure. Yeah. I've, I've talked to several people both on the podcast and just friends in, in real life who, are coached by him. And I've just heard the most wonderful things about his, the mental attitude side of training. Right. And yeah. And I think he works really well for people. Like for me, like I don't lack motivation to Mm -hmm. go out there and run, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't need a coach to monitor me to like, make sure that I'm doing enough (laughs) training. I need a coach to, who will like talk me off the ledge and tell me like, it's okay to cool it, you know? Um, and so he just, I think what's so incredible and, and probably, I'm, I'm sure a lot of coaches say that, that their job is probably 90% therapist and yeah. maybe 10, <laughs> 10% actual coaching. Um, and he's the best at that. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. I bet, I bet that's a common, common thing yeah. to coaches. Absolutely. So what are your, um, okay. So for everybody listening who might not know, Amelia is also an attorney. Mm-hmm. She works for Apple. Mm-hmm. What are your career goals, both in running and your regular old eight to five type <laughs> job? What are your career goals in the next five years, <laughs> 10 years, whatever? Right. Um, the running, the running one is actually easier for me to, to, to talk about, <laughs> like to easier for me to like put together. Cause I have this 
whole bucket list of, of races and things like I'd like to do and experiences I'd like to have. Um, and I think that's, what's so cool is that like, I really don't want to keep running like the same races twice or anything like that. It's just, I want to keep trying new things. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I'd really, I mean, Barkley is one thing that I will keep continuing to try as long as, as Laswell will (laughs) allows it. Um, you know, but I think that there's, there's a lot of, um, I'd like to race overseas some more. There's some really cool races, um, you know, in the UK, like the spine race is just absolutely bonkers. Um, and I just try a, a variety of things and to, to keep trying to keep failing, um, I think is all I can really ask for. And really just to be able to, to run healthfully, uh, like healthily, um, Mm -hmm. and to be out there and to really enjoy and to love it. Um, you know, professionally and in in that whole other career, I don't know. (laughs) It's a big part of your life too. It's, it's a big part of my life and, and I enjoy it in that it's a different, um, different outlet for me because I totally geek out on all things legal. Um, it's just when I try and talk to like runners about it, they're like, okay, yeah, no, you need to go talk to somebody else about this now because we're not <laughs> interested. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a nice, fun little balance for me, I think. So when you were like 20, so you're mm-hmm. in college, I guess you probably knew you wanted to be a lawyer because you were heading into law school at that time. Yeah. I, I think I knew I wanted to be a lawyer since I was like six. Cause really? I watched too much. I watched too much. My mom and I would watch Perry Mason every single day at lunch when I was little. <laughs> um, cause like we didn't have cable, but I think it was on PBS or something. Uh-huh. Um, and I just thought that the law was that super cool thing where like then the defendant always broke down on the stand and confessed and, and things <laughs> like that. So. But yeah, you never so, worked in that kind of, of no. lawyer work, did you? <laughs> no. Well, because I went to law school and I started out, I, I went into like a mock trial and I realized I'm actually really awful mm. in a courtroom setting. Like I do not think on my feet well. Um, and it's a skill. It's a very particular skill set and one that I just realized I didn't possess. Um, and it came much more naturally to other people. So I, I kind of pivoted because <laughs> I was like, mm, no, this is going to be super stressful for me. Yeah. You know, I've been on jury duty once and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how similar to actually what I see on TV it, it actually was. It was like <laughs> really? This, yeah. It was like, and it was a big trial. It was like a rape yeah. trial. It was a big oh, deal. Yeah. And so it was yeah. a long process, but I was like, I, I don't know, just like with the cross examining and everything, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is real. This is really what happens. And true. You know, yeah. Though they, they never show how long and painful jury selection actually is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So, as you, you've known you wanted to be a lawyer for a really long time. Are mm-hmm. you, are you where right now at 36? You're 36 now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're like the exact same age. Hey, it's a good age. Yeah, it is. It's like pretty much, I feel like the best right now is, are you where you thought you'd be when you were 15 or 20? Like, is this what you envision for your life? Absolutely not. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure when I was like 15, 16, around that age, I had this entire plan. I actually can tell you this plan. So I was going to go to law school. I was going to graduate when I was 25. Um, I would meet my spouse by the age of like 28. I would get married by 30. I would make partner at age 32. <laughs> and then I would like pop out a couple kids mm-hmm. by age 35. <laughs> Um, so clearly no. And, and like, (laughs) I didn't really envision this entire like side gig 
as a, as a sponsored athlete either. Um, but I have no regrets. Um, and I'm actually really, really grateful that this is how it ended up. I realized partner track wasn't for me. Um, it did not appeal to me at all, um, in that type of scenario at a law firm. Um, and, um, I don't know, it's been kind of a wild journey. Um, so yeah, definitely not what I pictured, <laughs> except the law part. The law part is still there. <laughs> yeah. Do you, how do you find, um, contentment's a negative word. I don't like that word. How do you yeah. find like, what word am I looking for? I was going to say celebratory, but that doesn't work either. I'm just thinking like, Amelia, help me out. What word am I looking I don't for? know. I'm not quite sure. I don't know what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, now that you're here, and and you're not married and you don't have Am kids. I at peace? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. now that you're at this place, you're 36 yeah. and this is where you're at in your life. You don't know if you'll have kids or not. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen. Like, how do you feel peaceful about that? You know, I think that for me, it's just understanding that our lives, you know, like, first of all, that the things that we have pictured in our brain that would potentially like, those were the things that were going to make us happy. Once we get them probably, probably didn't bring you happiness. You know, um, I've always kind of figured out that you can really be happy in any situation. Um, and this is actually a really great practice that I use when I'm running super long races and really miserable at times is that to find the happiness in any situation. Um, and I think for me, I realized, you know, like I, my life didn't take me on the path of, you know, the, the kids and the partnership track and everything like that. Like I initially thought it would. Um, but in many ways I'm way more fulfilled, um, than I think I would have be otherwise, you know? Um, and that's not to say, and I think what's so cool is that like, I think that when I was 15 or 16, I thought my life was going to be over by the time I was in my mid thirties, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, Oh man, you're on the downhill. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is now I, I still firmly believe my best years are ahead of me. Um, and so who knows, you yeah. know, I think that that kind of hope and that possibility and the things to look forward to always, always keep me happy and motivated. Yeah. And anytime I talk about this and I'm like, I never want people to think that I'm like, oh, you don't have kids. You're not married. But I just wonder what someone that is my age on that path, how they feel about that. And they probably get asked these questions a lot, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm and and I think that there's a part of me that, um, you know, like you think about it. I do. There are nights when I'm like, man, I may never have kids. Like what? Like, and that has weighed on me before. Um, but you know, I, it's just, it's one of those things that like, there are so many ways that life can bring us fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really just finding those, um, and that, you know, it will all work out. (laughs) Where are you finding your most fulfillment right now? Hmm. I, Honestly, I am finding so much fulfillment and re-engaging with the trail community, with the Spartan community, with the running community, um, and finding fulfillment in just in being, in being fully present, um, you know, and that was like, as one of the things where I said that, um, I felt like the eating disorder for me was really, really keeping me, um, kind of protected in a way, but also keeping me very 
everything was very hollow and very, there wasn't much joy. There wasn't much emotion. Um, and so seeing little things about seeing how I could be at the Spartan race world championships this past weekend and be present with everybody and enjoying meals with everybody and, you know, feeling healthy and feeling good. Um, that to me, just like on a daily basis, it just makes me so freaking happy. So happy. I love your gratitude lists. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I started making one about three minutes before this call. Cause I was like, I should talk about her gratitude lists. And I came up with, these are the things I came up with on spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the pumpkin latte I was drinking and it wasn't like, I know everybody makes fun of pumpkin lattes cause they're like, it's not really pumpkin, but the one I get <laughs> from the coffee shop here is pumpkin. It's like, I just had like pumpkin puree in my drink. Okay. I love how, I love how you feel like you have to justify the pumpkin <laughs> latte because it is such like a thing that people like rail against like, Oh my God, you're so basic. It's not but. even pumpkin, but guess what? Every October it's really fun because it's yeah. like, it's fun because it's not always here. That's why it's so fun. Absolutely. Uh, the, NY- the New York city marathon coming up. Yeah. Uh, fall candles. Oh yeah. Everything cozy. These, uh, yummy sweatpants I'm living in and then my awesome neighbors and fall weather. So that's as far as I got, but I, that's, yeah, that's good. It, it was fun to come up with and I wasn't trying to think big. I was just thinking right right now. Oh, absolutely. Like, and it's one of those things that where I try to do that. Some days I'm just like, man, I'm really thankful to have a roof over my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, just think about that. You know, do you do it every day? Um, I do. Okay. What's on your I list do. today? Oh, uh, God. What was on my list today? Um, I'm going to have to think about that because well, it was several hours ago. I looked, I saw it on your Instagram stories, and I will tell everybody that my favorite thing on your list, like so much, so, so much my favorite was popping your ankles. Oh, my God. The yeah. The sound of it. Yeah. I crack my ankles. My, I have a right, I've rolled my right ankle so many times just from so much like Spartan racing. Um, and so I have some, I mean, it causes ligament issues and whatnot, but, um, so my ligaments are super lax, but they pop like none other. And it's very satisfying. Why do we love that? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like a yeah. release or something. I, um, I, this is the weirdest thing. I was taking like a Instagram story, like a selfie story the other day and I cracked my neck mm-hmm. during it. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to have that on there. So I, but I was like, I'm going to save that because I want to hear that neck crack again. So I saved the video (laughs) and I listened back to the neck crack like five times because I was like, that is just so satisfying to hear. There is something. And the funny thing is like, I don't crack my knuckles or anything like that. It's just not, but it's, you know, when knees pop, when ankles pop for some reason, it's just like, oh yeah. That is, that is the only reason I would ever want to become a chiropractor. For the pure satisfaction of, of hearing that all day. I just want to be an office assistant, actually. <laughs> you're like, I'm just going to sit in on those chiropractor sessions just but to hear. Just tell me when you're going to do pops because that's all I right. want to hear. Exactly. Okay. There were some other good things on your list, though. I'm sure that there were. Uh, oh, therapeutic cries I know was on there. Um, I had a massive crying fit yesterday, but it was like the most beautiful type of crying um, ever. And then I've really come to embrace those lately because um, I used to, I'm a crier. I've always been a crier. I cry at everything. Um, but I used to think that it was like a sign of weakness. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to have a nice cry and I'm going to feel really good about it. So I feel like I should have said something to make you cry on this episode. <laughs> just kidding. 
Um, I actually was feeling super overwhelmed this morning on my way to Pilates at noon. So I did that right before I came on for the interview and I almost started crying in the car, but I only live about 10 minutes from the Pilates place. And I was like, Lindsay, Uh you just don't want to go into Pilates red faced. And like, I just, I just don't want to have to explain that. I I just don't want to like, it's a small class. There's like four people in it, you know, it's just, and I don't want the instructor even to ask me how I'm doing. I just wanted to like, so I somehow like I rolled my windows down and I just took some deep breaths and I got over the cry. Right. And it, you know, that works sometimes, but sometimes there's nothing like just letting the floodgates open. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wish more people would embrace it. Oh, for in pub- sure. In public, in public too. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm okay with a public cry. It was just one of those situations where I was like, I just don't, it almost felt like dealing with it in front of people right then would have just made it more than it actually was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, well, this, Amelia, this has been therapeutic for me. So I really appreciate well, this you. conversation. Likewise. Yes. Yeah. I was feeling a little bit I work for myself. I work by myself. And sometimes I feel a little bit lonely doing so. And every time I get on these conversations, it just makes me super thankful that I get to do this for work. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I think that there's so much connection and community. Um, and that's why I kind of love, you know, podcasts in general. It's like you feel like you're just talking to friends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, let's do into podcast questions. Cool. Um, we kind of covered this, but you might have a different answer. What's one yeah. thing personally or professionally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, so funny, before you asked the question, I was going to say that the, I guess it's personally run a, run a road marathon. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Is, is one of them, um, is actually the, the bucket list. Also, I, it is on my bucket list. I am, I would like to write a book. I just need to find yeah. the time. Um, so and I need to figure out what I would write about, but I like to write. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know everyone writes books, but I don't know. I just, yeah. <laughs> I know, but we can't say like, I'm not going to do something because everybody else does it. You know that. Though. Very true. Yeah. Um, I know. I always think about that with pe- when you write a lot, mm-hmm. cause it's like how much of that will then go into the book. You know what I mean? Right. So many pieces of the story and I'm not just saying you, anybody tells it's like, yeah. well, that probably fits into the book in some chapter in some way. Absolutely. But I think part of a lot of what my blogging has been are just like book chapters. <laughs> yeah. And then you just yeah. kind of put it together to one seamless story. Yeah, I think that's the hard part, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that's what your editors are for. Right. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? You know, I think that in for me... Well, frankly, the thing I'm most proud of right now is was going back into treatment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really hard for me, um, just I think ego wise. So, I'm I'm so glad that I did it, and I'm actually really sad that it took me that long. Um, you know, but not sad. But I wish I'd done it sooner. Wait, so you went for three months. Is it is it something that you'll revisit, or is it kind of a program where you when you're done with those three months you technically graduate? Well, I mean, it's like you hope to never have to go back into more of intensive treatment. I mean, I still have, I see my therapist Mm -hmm. once a week. I have a dietitian. Um, so you kind of live in, I'm in a more like a lower level of care, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still ongoing. I, I hope to, you know, never need more intensive treatment, even though in some ways I'm going to tell you like sitting around talking about your feelings for like 10 hours a day is 
a really fun thing sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's not so bad, but it's also not the real world. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you see a therapist and a dietitian or is that all in the same? I see. Uh, yeah. I see both therapists and a dietitian okay, and then they kind of worked. Yeah. Then they kind of work together, you know, to, to keep my, keep me on track. Do they work for the same company? No, they're okay. two independents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's a nonprofit you like to support? Oh, so this is my new favorite one is this nonprofit called the garment project. Um, and they basically, they, it's really cool. Uh, they take clothes from, um, you know, like a American Eagle or a Macy's and they remove the sizes, they remove mm. the tags and they donate them to eating disorder facilities, uh, for women in need of clothing. Um, because I think that's a, that's a really hard thing, um, that, a lot of times your body changes, um, when you're in treatment and clothes are expensive and mm -hmm. sizes can freak out a lot of people. So I absolutely love that they're doing this, you know, and so all the tags are removed, the sizes are removed and it's just a really, really cool project. Do sizes trigger you personally? No, okay. no, um, they don't, they've never been an issue for me just because I laugh at them. Like I can, I'm like an extra large in some tops mm -hmm. and then like an extra small in some bottoms. It just, it makes no sense for me, mm -hmm. but I do for a lot of women and, and men, it is the tags are a big part of, um, can be very triggering. What a good concept. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you already told me you don't have an answer for coffee or cocktail with someone fun. <laughs> I've just ne I've never like I I'm really really bad at this um at this but the person who keeps popping in my mind is Malcolm Gladwell actually oh. because he just is like this weird jack of all trades uh -huh. like curious person um and I don't know if anybody's listened to his most recent season of revisionist history but like man, he just dives in the most interesting stuff. And so, um, I find people like that super fascinating. I need to listen to that podcast. Yeah. There are some, the most recent season is really good. Um, once before that I was iffy on, but okay, there's, okay. there's some good stuff. Yeah. Well, he was recently on Oprah's podcast Yeah, and it was really good. Like it was one of, I, I bounce around, like I'll just actually Honestly, sometimes I just go over to Oprah Super Soul just to get some like Oprah inspiration. <laughs> like the she's so good. She's right? the queen of interviews. Like she's yeah. the queen of, of all that. And so sometimes before interviews, I literally will just put her on and listen. Just and yeah. her voice is super soothing. It's Oprah. Um, I know. But I really listened to her most recent interview with Malcolm Gladwell about his new book. I forget what it's called, but it mm -hmm. was really good. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And he's also a big running nerd yeah. fan too. So yeah, he's really into it. So. For sure. Okay. What's the best, best, most recent book you've read? Um, so I actually just finished Ryan Holiday's, uh, stillness is the key. Ooh. Um, so which I think is like, it's kind of the trio he wrote, you know, um, ego is enemy obstacles away. Um, and then this is like kind of the third trilogy and it's really, really good book. Um, I think really needed right now. And just in terms of, you know, how to, how to unplug from all of the noise in the world um, and kind of the, you know, how we're missing a lot by being constantly busy and go, go, going. That is so true. Mm -hmm. I try so hard to rid the busyness in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is your one message to send to the world? You know, I think it's something that we touched on and it's really, it's, it's your path. 
it's really like kind of um, sticking, you know, that nobody's journey is going to be the same and there's no shame in doing things your way. And um, I think that that's, that's really something that's, you know, helping to guide me. Um, and then, and then second, like, and finally, and this is the drum that I'm going to keep banging, um, all the time, whenever a chance I have a platform is, can we please stop commenting on people's bodies? Um, (laughs) I really dream of this world where we can like, look at each other and be like, you have a body. I have a body. Cool. Moving on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and as opposed to, you look fit or Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, like I just, I really love the concept of body neutrality. Um, and I really, really hope that we can get there one day. Cause you know, I think that the conversation is changing, but it's especially hard, especially in the, you see it in the running world and females, like nobody, nobody talks about the men's bodies. They always talk about the women's bodies, you know? Um, and it's, I'm so, I'm encouraged that so many people are speaking up against it now, but it still needs to be, still needs to be changed. I agree. That's tough too. That's really tough because sometimes people have the absolute best of intentions and they don't realize how it might affect not just the person they're typing it to about, but other people who are reading it. Yeah. And I mean, and there's nothing, that's the thing is I think that 99% of the comments are well-intentioned most sure, of the time. For sure. Um, but it's just, you never know why somebody's body looks the way yep. it does. And um, so I think that there are so many other things that you can compliment a person on. Um, it, why, you know, appearance doesn't need to be one of them. Amelia, thank you so much for this. This has been yeah. really fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a, so much fun to talk to you. We will, uh, we'll follow you at Biggs and, um, I can't wait to see how it goes. And I hope that just like you said, like, I hope you enjoy playing out there and, and yeah. getting back at it. Yeah, it should, it should, it should be fun. I mean, it's, uh, if anything, it's an adventure and that's all I can hope for. That's the best part about it. All right, Amelia, uh-huh. well, have a great rest of your day. Thank you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. Thank you, Amelia, for coming on the show and sharing your story. You guys can find Amelia on Instagram. She's arboone 11 You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. On Facebook, I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. You should definitely join our Facebook group. Lots of great conversation going down over there. And most importantly today, go grab your tickets to the live show to the Dina Castor Sally McRae event I'm doing here in Indianapolis, November 9th. It's going to be a really great night. You can find tickets in the show notes, lindsayhine.com. I will put them in the show notes to this podcast episode. And then I will also have the link in my Instagram bio, lindsayhine626 over there. All right, friends, the next podcast episode being dropped from me will be coming out on another podcast, the Illuminate podcast. It's with former Colts player Gary Brackett. I interviewed him last week and I have an episode coming out with him next Wednesday over on the Illuminate podcast. So make sure you check out that podcast. It's one of the other podcasts in my new network that I started, the Sandy Boy Productions Network. Um, Subscribe to that show because I have interviews with non-runners over there and there'll be one coming this coming Wednesday and it's going to be really 
motivational and exciting, and I can't wait to share it with you all. All right, friends, have a really great rest of your Friday. Have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.